I titled this message, last week I didn't have a title, I don't think, but I titled this message, Christ in You, the Hope of Glory, which is likely the theme verse of this entire chapter. If you know um, the 29 verses of Colossians 1, you know that that term is in there, Christ in You, the Hope of Glory. I heard that, I don't know about you, I grew up in a church um, like three weeks out of the hospital, I was at church twice, three times, four times. And then I went to school at the church. So I was there like nine times a week, literally. I didn't say nine days, but nine times a week. And I heard this term my whole life. I heard it in Awana. I heard it in uh, uh, the junior high, uh, middle school ministry, high school ministry, you name it. I never understood it. Totally did not understand it. And I trust that many of you have heard that kind of sentence, if you will, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I want to really unpack it. We're going to jump through this chapter relatively, uh, relatively quickly because I really feel like um, what's been on my heart for the past few months is that discipleship, I don't know what you think of when you think of discipleship, but true Christian discipleship to me seems rare nowadays. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. I just, when I think of what it is, not what the definition is and not what uh, the 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 maybe the term that most people think if they were doing a multiple choice hey what does discipleship mean and here's a b c and d but what it really really means like what jesus did with those 12 guys in terms of teaching them and learning them in what it meant to be a follower what it meant to be a christian so we're going to focus on that but once again i really want us to understand the context of, of the letter because if you don't understand who the letter was written to and why it's a, you can miss a couple more things in here. And so I want to start off by throwing out there, we talked about Gnosticism last week. We talked about the fact that the Gnostics um, were there in this church in uh, Colossae. But it was written to, by Paul to combat error, not just of the Gnostics, but there was a lot of worldly stuff being woven into this church, making these new converts believe they had to believe all these other things, which are... By definition, it's always heresy when it's Jesus plus anything. I don't care if it's Jesus plus five hours a day of Bible reading. That's heresy. Jesus didn't ever say that. He never said. He said, by grace you are saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's not of your works. It's not of how much you read. It's not of how many boxes you check. It is a gift of God. And we're going to talk about that in a second, what that really looks like. But because of the Gnostics in, the, in this fellowship, they also had people entertaining Jewish ideas and kind of weaving that in. We, we dealt with a little bit of that in Hebrews, but those people were not, uh, they, those people were Jewish. These are not Jewish people. These are people from what we know today as Western Turkey. So you would call them Gentiles. You would call them, you might even call them Greeks. You might even call them um, Europeans, or if you will. Um, but they were not Jewish. And so these Gnostics were coming in with this idea of what we call dualism. And dualism uh, posits the existence of two creators. Now, you go, oh, well, there is two sides. There's evil and there's good. There's God and there's Satan. Yes, but Satan didn't create anything. He didn't, and he's not a creator. So the first is a God of goodness, purity, spirituality, called the Godhead. That's what they would call it. Now, that sounds a little good, right? It sounds like, I think I have heard that before today. Goodness. I heard a guy say, well, I'm, I'm spiritual this week. He goes, I'm spiritual. Oh, okay, that's awesome. Well, the second creator, um, he was the creator of the physical world. And he has trapped divine souls in mortal form. That's what we're all doing here. 
according to this, according to the, what the Gnostics were telling these Colossians. In some cases, this God um, is a God in and of himself equal to, but opposed to the Godhead. So basically what we're doing is we're putting Satan on par with God in the Gnostics, uh, in their estimation. So Gnosticism today is rooted in Judeo-Christian sources because it went back to this, this time when, uh, obviously Judaism was huge, but Christianity was starting to really gain, gain traction two, two, three, four decades after Christ died. Now it's really getting traction in this area of the world. Granted, this area of the world is close to Jerusalem, but still. So Gnostics, they may not identify themselves as Christians depending on the overlap back in, in when he was writing this. But Gnosticism certainly does not require, they may have called themselves Christians. They may not have. They may say, well, we're like you. We're like a little bit Jewish. We're like a, you know, we're spiritual, whatever that means. Nowadays, who knows what that means anymore? It's like a wild card. But the, the issue is that Gnosticism does not require belief in Christ and it does not, it does not put Christ on par with God. And that's the problem with it. And so you could almost say it was like the church in Revelation that married a little bit of the world and a little bit of Christianity. You might say that. But to be honest with you, it's, to me it's a little more like Hinduism that's mixed with Buddhism today. Where you have a little bit of the God stuff, like Hinduism would, would mention the word gods, whereas atheism does not, or uh, Buddhism does not. And so you find people, I, I have known several Jewish Buddhists. They're called Jubus. According to them, I didn't make that up. But um, Jewish Buddhists, that makes almost no sense to me if you think about it. But both Jewish people have been a persecuted um, religious group for a long time. And so what does Buddhism seek? It seeks to remove yourself from suffering. And they don't want to suffer anymore. Well, who does? But it's, it's, it's so opposed to Judaism. Even Judaism, like in its, in its best form, Old Testament Judaism, so that's the background to this wonderful letter. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly through this first chapter because a lot of its intro and a lot of its, uh, some of the principles that we, we mentioned last week. But I really want to um, kind of cruise through the first eight verses here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. As it, it, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So we talked last week about this idea of the union. I use the unions because people understand what unions are in our culture. Um, some, if I were to talk to a, I don't know, a high school kid, a college kid, and I use the word union, they might not understand it as well as if I said, did you know that marriage is a union? Did you know that um, you can join a union? You can join a group and you, and you 
you put yourself together, you sort of bond yourself together with the person in a union. We talked about this idea that uh, Christian um, discipleship and Christian fellowship and in, in that all that we are supposed to be, sometimes we don't realize it, is in this relationship like a marriage. That's, it, it's, it's me and my wife on this side of heaven in the temporal and we did our vows and we did uh, we had 300 and something people watch us and people were excited that day and it was just a wonderful day and God was there. And, and we made our vows to each other, but we, but we made them before God. And we said, till death do us part. That's a vow. That's a union. And we are one flesh. We wrap ourselves around Christ. And that braid of three, if you will, is not easily broken when we really obey the Spirit of God. Now, when we don't, we get fleshly, when we get, eh, I kind of want my way, that's when marriages start to become a train wreck. Um, but it's not God's fault. That's not God's fault. <laughs> That's our fault. That's 100% our fault. I told somebody this week, I go, do you know how crazy God had to make like starting Christian marriage so people would understand it? He literally had one guy walk around this earth and look at everything. I go, nothing here is going to work for me. And then he takes woman basically literally out of this guy and joins them together in the garden where it's like, well, I guess you're it because there's nobody else. Like, that's how obvious he had to make it. Like, I'm trying to make you understand something here. This union, like how we are, me and you, Adam, this relationship that you and I have and this relationship you have with her, this is one flesh. You're, you're effectively in this, until they sin, perfect relationship. That's what, that's what God wanted. But we have not stayed true to that. So in this intro, um, Sometimes this, uh, a simple ex, uh, exercise is to thank God for the blessings. He starts off by thanking these guys and telling them, hey, I'm praying about you guys. I'm praying for your faith. I'm, Epaphras has told me about you guys. He told me that you guys love other Christians. You've you're, you got this koinonia, this fellowship. You've got this amazing thing going on there. Well, at the same time, Another wonderful gift he gave you and I is other people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are hoping to see the Lord one day. As things get really, really, really bad in our country, um, in other countries, I told you guys that I was on a retreat a few weeks back with a, a, a pastor from Nepal um, who has literally been stoned for his faith. Um, he's been arrested. He's been hurt multiple times. Um, and he's now over 1,000 house churches because they can't, he goes, we can't have a building like you have. We'll get in trouble for that. And so there, there's all these house churches. And um, this guy has, has been persecuted hardcore for the faith. When those people come together in the church on Sunday morning, it's like a party. Why? Because the contrast is so great. The fellowship in here is like heavenly, but out there we're just hunted. In America, until America feels that like serious pressure, they're starting to feel a little bit more than when I was a kid, but it's not there yet. People just feel like, eh, church, merch. When I get there, I get there. Easter's around the corner, Right? That's because everything else is so comfortable out there and there's, no, there's really not a lot of opposition compared to how things were in this church and how things were in Jerusalem with the, uh, with the Judaizers and, and the uh, religious leaders hunting down our first apostles. So this intro is like, hey guys, I want you to know that we're praying for you all the time because of everything that we're hearing. It's a good report. Verse nine, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you 
and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. How would they have done this? How did this church that did not have one of these, how did this church do all these things? Or how could they do all these things? Yes, they've been saved. Yes, they came to Christ. But now, how do I walk worthy? What does that mean? How am I fully pleasing God? What does that mean? How am I being fruitful in every good work, increasing in my knowledge of God? I don't have a Bible. Yeah, I have an Old Testament. A lot of them couldn't read, especially people in this. um, Paul, in one translation, calls uh, people outside of that area uh, in a nice little European island, uh, barbarians. And and that word isn't what we would say today. He just meant that they're, they're just, it's just a wild culture. There's, there's, there's no civilization like there is in Jerusalem. There was no, um, the, the way the people kind of handled themselves was like, wow, just anything goes here, I guess, like some countries that we know. So I want to throw this out. Um, he's mentioned the word uh, fruitful twice. Um, I yanked these flowers this morning. They're beautiful, don't you think? Um, and because of the monsoon, they, they grew on the sidewalk. So I didn't take them out of anybody's yard. I was looking, though, uh, for flowers in someone's yard. Um, so the one looks okay, but an hour ago when I pulled it, or a little over that, it looked even better than this. This one was laying down underneath, and it's been, they're both, they were both on the vine this morning before I yanked them, but this one kind of looks like, I don't know, it's been dead for a few days, let's just say. But it's not because of a lack of sunshine, and it's not because of a lack of water. Now, if I were to be able to, and I can't do it, let's say this was an alive vine, if I were to take a, I don't know, a botanist or whatever, and I just grafted this thing in, and let's use this one as a better example, since this one has no, next to no life on it, who would give me 20 bucks if this thing looked better laying on the sidewalk next week as opposed to today? Nobody. So if we grafted this thing in and we got this thing, a little bit of life, a little bit of what we would call blood, which is the life of us, maybe, just maybe, it could, it could have life in it again. But who would get the credit for it? This thing or this thing? Clearly the active vine would. So this thing cannot boast, if it becomes a beautiful daisy again, or whatever these are, sidewalk flowers, um, if it becomes a beautiful flower again, even if it's doing everything, even if it's better than everybody else in its little uh, flock of flowers, if you will, or bouquet, if it becomes beautiful, it cannot boast. Because it's, its life is not its own. Its life comes from another source. That is Christian discipleship. Discipleship is taking a Christian who says, yes, I want to follow God, and maybe that was 20 years ago, and maybe that was last summer, and I've never opened the Bible since, and I've never prayed since it happened. And I don't really feel much. And of course you don't. Of course you don't. Because... The gospel is, is more than just being saved. The gospel is life. The gospel is living life in the vine because you have to admit when you come to Christ that you are dead in your sins. Operative word, dead. You and I are going to die if everything, if the earth lasts another long, long time. We're all gonna die. Every one of us is gonna die. And we're not gonna look as good on our deathbed as, as we did when we were little babies. We were cute little babies. We're, we're not. It's just the way it is. Some doctor said you're born to die. You're born and you're, you start the process of dying. Look at that little baby. He's dying. 
It's tough to say, right? But it's true. So how are these Colossians supposed to walk worthy, be fully pleasing, be fruitful, work, increase in knowledge, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy? How? By realizing where their life comes from. By realizing how to tap that life like a well. By being in fellowship with God through Christ. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the spirit. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Yes, of course we do. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is, is from the beginning the firstborn of the dead, from the dead, in all things, that he may have the preeminence. Why is he saying all this? Because the Gnostics just lied to these people and told them every single thing is the opposite of that. They told them, well, there's really just the Godhead up there someplace. He's pure and he's spiritual and all things physical. There's another huge thing about the Gnostics is that all things physical are bad. Everything's bad. Well, consequently, your Lord, didn't you guys say you saw him? Yeah, didn't you say you walked around him, that he ate food, that he one day died? Yeah, well, obviously he was sinful. Because, you know, it's like, it's like an if-then statement. If all things are sinful, then all things that are here are full of sin. Well, Jesus was here for a little while. Well, I'm full of sin. Paul's just laying it out. Hey, greetings, Paul. Here's who I am. Here's my credentials. I love you guys. I'm praying for you. These guys are wrong. <laughs> totally wrong. Every bit of this is wrong. So, I mean, literally, there's almost nothing in the Gnostic um, if you want to say the Gnostic Gospels, they're out there. Uh, I'm sure somebody can, can find a Gnostic Gospel somewhere out there on the internet. But, but almost every single one of their points, they, they fly in the face of the truth of, of not only Scripture, but the truth of who Christ is. Basically just said, hey, here's Jesus. He's number one. He's the Son of God, but he also created every single thing. So it doesn't matter what you've been told by these people. And it doesn't matter that they're like, hey, you know, Judaism is kind of how this thing started. Jesus was a Jew. Um, and he's kind of a good guy. So if you guys want to throw some Judaism stuff in there, you want to have some satyrs, that's fun. Let's eat. Hummus is great. But still anything physical is bad. All, all lies. And guys, you know, I, I say this because there are so many lies that, that are, are permeating the faith of people in this country. They're just different ones. But almost always do they attack the preeminence of Christ, which is Paul's number one thing in this last, from eight to, from uh, verse nine to 18. Preeminence of Christ. Christ is preeminent. Christ is, is creator. Christ is your life. That's why in Colossians 3, he says, Christ who is your real life. You live through him. So anything good, flowers, anything good is from a different source of life. Your source of life, especially when you got baptized, that was supposed to show you that. You know, you, hey, you, you're going into the grave. What comes out? through the water, which is a symbol of the spirit of God's power, the Holy Spirit, you're resurrected into new life. Now you live for him. Well, a lot of people raise their hand 
or they come to Christ or they, they might online, they might uh, watch something and go, oh, yeah, I, I want to be saved. And that's all you ever hear. That's, that's, all, that's where they stop. Well, that's one half of the gospel. The other half of the gospel is Christ is your life. And a lot of people focus their lives only on the first half. Oh, I'm saved. I'm good. I got my card. Man, I don't know if I'd, I'd be okay with saying that out loud, but I've heard it a lot. It, it's a very, very, it's a sad thing when people say that. It's, it's clearly a slap in the face. Quickly, verses 19 through 23, because I want to get to this Christ um, in you, the hope of glory. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth, you Gnostics, or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. And remember that verse, verse 21. You were once alienated um, and enemies of, uh, of, the, of God himself because of what you did, because of your works, because of your acts. Gnostics included. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue. A lot of people say yes and don't continue. Scary place. Read Hebrews all the way through. I don't know that you'll be okay with that whole, yeah, I once prayed the prayer. I was once baptized. Um, Read it all the way through. Read God's word. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. Quickly, this whole reconciliation. So he starts off with the greeting and and commends their faith and tells them, hey, this is who I am. I love you guys. I pray for you guys all the time. Christ is supreme. Christ is the head of the church. Bride of Christ, you and me, we're married to him. The church is married to him. We're in a union with him. We are unionized with Christ, his church. That doesn't mean all churches. That means the real church. That means whoever Christ knows and has a relationship with, whoever those people are, only he knows the heart of man. There are people who have uh, preached from pulpits and and maybe led thousands and millions to the Lord over the years. And at the end of their life, we found out some stuff about them and we go, huh. And people go, oh, do you think they were saved? Uh, Dude, I don't want to make that call. I don't know. Scary. And then there's people who you watch and you see the fruit and they just kind of live this steadfast Christian life kind of below the fray, if you will, and kind of just consistent with Jesus. And you go, wow, that's fruit. I see it. You see it to the day that they die. You see that they continued. So if indeed you continue in the faith, he's trying to let us know that establishing Christ as God, Christ as the head, as the giver of his body, the giver of his blood, And Christ is the one that grounds and establishes me as a Christian. He gives me the hope which the gospel brings. He takes Dan Swanson, the dead flower, and he plugs me in. And he gives me life. And that's the only life. No matter what I do in this life, if anybody ever says, wow, that was really awesome, well then, that wasn't me. I mean, that's the true definition. Now, sometimes falsely people go, oh, not little old me. Don't compliment little old me. Truth. Whatever Christ does in you is life. If Christ is working in your life, that's him and that's life and that pleases the Father and that's verses 10 through 12. That's the only way you get there. Now, sometimes we get complimented so much and people come up against us and they, it's like when you pet a little puppy, 
And they're like, mm, that feels good. Yeah, you know what? And they start to believe a little bit of their own press. And they start to believe that they're awesome. They start to believe maybe it's all the work. Let the body work. Look at my ministry. Ugh, that is a scary place to be. Not because it's disgusting, which it is, because it's a slap in the face of the life giver. That's the only reason. Because it is his life. Verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, for you guys, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm filled up by Christ, and Christ said that I'm going to suffer, and Christ said that I identify him most when I suffer, and so I'm filled up because I know that what's happening with me right now is for the sake of Christ, for the sake of, of, of helping you guys, and it's all about him of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery, here we go with this word mystery. Several times we're going to see this. The mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. What's the mystery? Well, the mystery is a lot of things. If you look up the word hope, if you look up the word glory, used in many contexts, but I would say in this case, the hope of Dan Swanson or you, believer in Christ, displaying the nature and character of God. How would I ever do that without him? Seriously. Like, let's be honest. If you knew who I was, if you knew the kid that uh, walked around the Baptist church and used to shoot cars with uh, those little airsoft things and just anything I could steal at 9, 10, 11. I was a thief. I mean, I literally would, would be for sure in prison for pulling what people call scores or pulling a job. Uh, without Christ. There's no doubt because it's intriguing to me, unfortunately, these movies where like the Italian job where like lots of gold, is mo gold bullion is moved. It, it's, it's like, uh, I shouldn't watch that very much more. Um, so anything that's good in me, anything that I've ever done, it's a mystery. It's a mystery to people that grew up with me. Trust me, it really is. It's a mystery from my high school people who probably see the Facebook page that I am standing here right now without cuffs or an orange jumpsuit on, likely. That's probably what they would, if they were going to write honest things in my yearbook. Um, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations, but has now been revealed to the saints. Also, the mystery is that Peter even talks about this. He's like, hey, the prophets who are brilliant guys and great writers, and we quote them all the time, and we, we preach sermons on them since the church in Colossae didn't have Colossians to preach through until they got it. But it wouldn't have been distributed like, like it was until the 1500s. So we've got, you know, almost 1500 years where uh, these things didn't just fly off the shelf like they do right now. You can buy them at Dollar Tree. God bless those folks. Um, you can buy a Bible for a dollar. It is the King James Version. But the mystery is that people in the Old Testament couldn't have possibly understood this. They couldn't, wait, you, you're telling me that you can talk to God by yourself? We can't talk to God. We're Jews and we can't. You're Gentiles. How could you possibly believe this? It's a mystery. Other mystery is that, that God would come and dwell inside me, that he would, quote, tabernacle or temple, or that he would dwell inside a heart that he has described as either rock hard or bad soil or evil, that he could possibly live there. We're going to get into, the, uh, in a couple of weeks, some really cool stuff about the, the mind, the soul, the spirit, and how those things um, uh, how God uses them, but at the same time, the contrasts that, the, that they set up in our lives. So this is the verse. I love this verse so much. To them God willed to make known 
what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, people that were outsiders to God for so long, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Once again, Christ in me, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the hope that you will display the nature of God as you live on this earth, that you are a different person than you were before you came to the knowledge of the truth, before you came to the knowledge that A, you're a sinner, and B, that God saved you. Before that happened, who you used to be. Now, obviously, there's varying degrees of that. Some people go, well, that guy, my grandpa was, you know, my, my actual grandpa and my grandma, uh, my grandma was this wild child, and my grandpa was kind of like this disciplined guy who was unsaved. But he wasn't really like that bad of a guy, according to me. But the Bible says that he was sinful. And so there's varying degrees. There's the mass murderers who come to Christ, and then there's the people who have told a few lies in their life. All have sinned and come short of God's glorious standard. James 2.10. If you don't keep the whole law, one offense, you're guilty of all. Because God's standard is, it's all or nothing. It's perfection or nothing. That's why Jesus got in on his merit. Jesus was raised to life by the Spirit of God because he was perfect. He was God. He, he, was, without, uh, no, he was without sin. Verse 28. Him, he, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. I don't hear a lot of people teach this verse. I mean, I'm sure it's been taught kind of in a broad spectrum or, you know, when you go through a book. I have not heard tons of sermons on this verse. But if we're preaching Christ to people, we're preaching Christ, you know, here we are. We're proclaiming Christ in this church. Millions of churches around the world, uh, house all the way to large churches, are preaching the same thing from yesterday to today, Saturdays and Sundays usually. And they're preaching and teaching that every man hear this gospel, that we pre present every man perfect. When you tell somebody that they need Christ, you're definitely not telling them that they are perfect before they got to Christ. But what about after Christ? Positionally, they are. That's very hard for people to understand. A lot of people that struggle with them, themselves in a different way than some other folks do, they go, dude, that's the last thing I could ever understand. That's why you keep your relationship going. That's why every day you don't cut yourself off and stop talking to them. Because if you don't, how, once again, I used this analogy last week. Me and my wife, we talk a lot. We, we, we do, we, we discuss like tons of stuff. We, we, we talk sometimes in the morning and then late at night before we go to bed. If we just stopped talking, how, how fast until it gets weird? I don't know, a day? Maybe two? Like, we're like, hey, we haven't like spoken to each other. We're used to it. I love it. I don't know if she does. I'm just kidding. Um, I love it though. It gets weird after maybe day one at the end of the day, maybe day two, certainly day three, we're like, hey, what's up? And Jesus is the same way. He's like, hey, what's up? Like, are, are we going to talk? Are we going to talk today? No, 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 I read a verse. Caleb told me a verse of the day, and, I, uh, and, I, and I, I got emailed eight verses from people, and I'm good, I read it. I didn't even think about you. Well, my word is my word, and it's instruction, and it's, it's correction, and it's like, a, it's like a compass, and it's a lot of things. And it is alive, for sure. But it is no replacement for a relationship with me. This book has been not in its form for three quarters of Christ's post-life, like post-resurrection life. Three quarters of our life on this globe, we have not had this book. Did people struggle? Sure. Do we struggle today? Yeah. Did tons of people come to, the, to, come to Christ? Yeah. 
and with less distractions than we have. So I almost kind of envy some of those older movies where life is just simple and we don't have 8,000 decisions to make a day and we don't have 8,000 apps popping up and notifications. Hey, you didn't, you used your, your phone 4% more than last week. Great. Thanks for putting that in my mind. I care. Apple. Crazy. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his, to his working. His working, it's capitalized there, which works in me mightily. Paul, your fuel is the Christ. You're the rock star. You know everything. Paul likely had the Old Testament memorized. Most guys in his rabbinical level did. Uh, Gamaliel, who was a brilliant man as well, said that Paul is a student above students, and I could give him, I don't think I could uh, quench his appetite if I gave him every book I had. So Paul's up here. And it would make sense to me, the more I grow in my faith, it makes sense to me why Paul was kind of hustled out of Jerusalem and thrown to these barbarians, these, these people who were like, what are, you, what are you even talking about? What's Judaism? You're smart? Wow, that's cool. And he's like, do you know who I am? And they're like, we don't. And uh, we're really not interested, but thanks anyway. And so he'd move on, and he'd teach people. It's one of the things that kept him in check. Yes, he had thorns. Yes, he had struggles. Yes, he had a lot of other uh, things. But if you were Paul, you might struggle just as much or more than he did. I want to wrap this up because we're already over time. The hope of displaying the nature and character of God. That is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Stay plugged in. The greatest analogy ever cost me no dollars today. Stay plugged in. One of the difficult concepts to get modern Christians to understand is that all of their efforts, all of their Bible reading, all of their memorization, all of their church attendance, all of their works does not make them more acceptable to God. Doesn't make God love you more. He already loved you a ton before he even knew you. So we have to remember that. You're not doing this for him. I'm not talking to my wife so that she thinks that I like her. I'm talking to my wife because I love her, because I want to, because I crave it. That's what we're talking about here. Secondly, for us to think that we bring anything to the table in this marriage, and it is one, we're called the bride of Christ. For us to think that we bring anything to the table in this marriage, union with Christ is sinful. If you think you bring something to the union, if you think God's lucky to have you on your team, you're missing the mark. <laughs> I, know, I know sometimes we struggle with that thought. It doesn't mean that thinking that thought or Satan kind of hurling that thought in doesn't occur to some people sometimes. Of course it does. Satan loves to tempt us, especially on that level. But anything that is purely God or godly, any good work is Christ life flowing out of me and you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for crystal clear um, writing from your servant, Paul. Uh, God, this book is uh, short and sweet, and it is so full. Um, I, I do pray, Lord, that uh, these truths would stick with us through the week. God, that we would really, really um, start to explore this relationship more and more and more. God, that we would live our lives more in the heavenlies than in the temporal that we would focus more on eternity than we do the few minutes or months or years we have left here. Uh, God, not to say that, that life here doesn't need our attention sometimes, but God, that we would put the focus on you, that we'd put you back in the first position. 
In Jesus' name, amen.